pick up the first four verses this morning. And our third installment of Bringing the Light Home, and today, Parents and Children. And so as we look at this uh, absolutely essential ingredient to society, as we remember that it is our personal walks with the Lord, it is the strength of that personal walk with the Lord that is truly the basis of the amount of light that's going to shine from our homes. And as we as parents bring that light to our children, we then increase the availability of that light to the world. And so it's a rather simple process uh, that we're undertaking. And I want to, this morning, before I begin, uh, I want to say a couple of words uh, to calm the hearts of those who are in certain situations. One, maybe you don't have children. Um, I, I know that that is hard at times when we speak on these issues that are very specific. I want to speak to those who maybe you have recently come to a relationship with Christ. And maybe as I speak on these things, you're going to sense some failure. Maybe you're going to have some regret. I want to speak to those this morning who know these truths and you've been disobedient to the things of the Lord. I want you to remember what Romans 8 says. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Remember that. My job is not to heap upon anyone something that seems impossible or hurting. My task is to preach the word of God truthfully and accurately and to simply relate what it says so that we can live it. And so sometimes it may seem as though I I might be pointing fingers or picking in Jesus' name not trying to do that at all. We can start today. Maybe there's been failure on your part and you have recognized it. You can start today to walk in grace and in that newness of life. And so please, don't be condemned. Challenged, maybe. Convicted, maybe, in some area that needs to be altered because there's been a Uh, standard that you've kept that's not God's standard in your home. But as we speak, remember truth is truth. And we simply want to speak the truth in love. So please receive in love what God's Word says to us as His church. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come and we ask You now to take Your Word and speak to us as Your church. Lord, we love You. We thank You that in this most blessed and also most difficult of tasks that we really have on this earth, Lord, to raise up godly families in this wayward world. We pray that you would help us to be bearers of the light so that that light would transform our families and that our families would transform our world. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
This morning as we begin, I want to focus in just a little bit. It always helps us to move back and remember context. The context here in this particular chapter uh, really goes all the way back to the beginning of chapter 5 and verse 1, where we're supposed to walk as imitators of Christ. Amen? So the goal is imitating and walking in the light. The goal is to take that light into every area and every aspect of life. And sometimes we get hung up in certain areas of life to where we don't bring that light to bear in that specific area. And maybe it's because we ourselves have had a poor childhood. Maybe it's because we ourselves come from a broken home. Maybe it's because we ourselves live in a world that's anti-family. Maybe because we live in a world that's heading the wrong direction and not the right direction, these things seem unattainable. Let me remind you that it is the Spirit of God that dwells in you as a child of God. And if the Spirit of God is sufficient to bring life to a lifeless universe, He's certainly sufficient to bring life to your home, to your life. And so this morning... I want to give you three things to dwell on as we begin. Number one, as I've said here, your devotional life needs to be of utmost importance to you as parents and to us really as individuals. These things apply to all of us. But very specifically, you can't take your family someplace you yourself haven't gone. If you're not engaged in the study of God's Word, if you are not taking in the things of God, if it's not important enough for you, for you to sit down at the dinner table, for you to sit down at your morning devotional time and spend some time in God's Word, what do you think your children are going to learn from that? They're going to learn the Bible's not important. They're going to look at your life and go, well, Dad doesn't need to be in the Bible. Mom's not in the Word. There's no evidence that it's important. So please, as I said, don't be condemned. Be challenged. If if you haven't set an example for your children in the home of having a strong devotional life, please do that. I would recommend for you a one-year Bible. Go through the Bible. Just read the whole thing in a year. It's not that tough. It'll take you 10, 15 minutes a day. And then pick up a, a devotional. We have free ones out on the Welcome Center. Just pick one up. Take it home. Get a good devotional book like uh, Face to Face by Bob Botsford or, or maybe uh, Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God. They're wonderful tools for you to use. They're short things that you can do in the morning. Secondarily, be a parent of prayer, please. If there's something that I would remind you to do, it's that God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Now, he may take a lot longer than you would like him to. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, we all, I think, question God's uh, motives at times because it's like, God, didn't you see this? Don't you know what happened? Aren't you watching my kids? Look where they're going. Look at life. But be people of prayer about everything, every day, everywhere. Put every in front of something and do it. Pray without ceasing, your Bible says. That simply means that you are engaged in the activity of speaking to God every moment of every day. And you can do that while you're having a great time at a baseball game. You can do that while you're eating. You can do that at any point in time. Be parents of prayer. And then a third thing, be parents of fellowship. 
Make sure that you show your children how important it is that they are in fellowship with other believers. Because I've seen all too many parents whose children model them in the area of fellowship, and if church isn't important to mom and dad, it won't be important to the kids either. And church is important. Fellowship is important. And I'm speaking specifically of that corporate opportunity we have to come together to make God first and foremost for an hour and a half on a Sunday, for an hour and a half on a Wednesday night. It's not an inordinate amount of time, and it is a valuable investment in your children's lives because they are seeing you as people who desire to be around people who hold the same worldview who have the same standard, whose lives have been transformed by the word of God through prayer, and now you're living it out in the public square. And so please take these three things and apply them within your relationship of family because your children will see how much light you have and they will attempt to imitate it. And if there's not much, that's what they're going to imitate. And so as we move forward this morning, you know, family, from God's perspective, is the single smallest unit of human society. He ordained it. And it is those families that then affect our world. Individuals affect the world, but nowhere near like a family does. It's just like you, and you probably all experience this. Maybe you're the only Christian at work. That's a tough deal, amen? You're sitting there trying to to live out your faith in the public square and there's nobody else who loves the Lord around you and you are just getting battered every day. You see, being as a family is the single smallest unit of human society uh, of what we would call our social structure. Guess what a family is that's strong? It's stronger than a single individual. And that's why for those of you who are in an unequally yoked situation, you've had a hard time, and maybe your life is is harmed and hurt by this. You know how tough it is to stand alone, even in a family. And so a family is a stronger force for the light to be shown in our world than an individual. So these are really spiritual common sense things. And we all have, you know, the black sheep, amen? You know, it's... We all have family members we'd kind of like to, well, I don't want to emulate that. I, I think each of us can go through our family tree and go, ooh, I hope they never meet Uncle Gary. You know, that happens to be my, we have a, we have a felon we, in our family. It's, it's not proud of it, but, you know, he's a full-blown FBI wanted poster felon. And, you know, we, everybody talks in hushed tones about Uncle Gary, you know. My dad's brother, it's like, no, oh, I hope he doesn't show up. You never know what he'll bring, you know, kind of thing. You know, it's like if your family goes to do a biography and you got, you know, you got, Uncle George has been electrocuted in the murdering, murder, you know, for murder or something. You kind of don't want that. So what we do instead of dealing with it is we kind of do what the world does. And we say things like, Uncle George occupied the chair of applied electronics at a prominent university. <laughs> He was highly attached to that position, and his death came as a great shock. So, you know, that's kind of how we deal with stuff in the family sometimes. I don't know what happens. 
You know, we need to stand for Christ in our homes, and sometimes that means we just have to admit that we got some issues, amen? It's okay. We all have issues. There are things, looking back on my life, we've raised our children from birth to their point in time now completely in the ministry. They have not ever known anything of Connie and I walking apart from the Lord. That's a rarity in the world, but I can tell you this, we haven't been perfect. There have been things we look back on, eh, we probably should have done that a little differently in the Lord. So don't be discouraged by that. And it's, I, I want to speak for a moment, and again, I want to be very, 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 very careful here, and I, I want to give accolade as well. We have many teachers in this church uh, who are in public schools, and they absolutely love the Lord, and they are doing everything they can to be Christ-like and godly and loving and present Christ in that arena. But that is a very difficult arena to do that in because the whole system is against pretty much everything we stand for as Christians. It is a tough deal. And so I want to speak to a moment for those of you who have children in public school and for those of you who homeschool, and those of you who maybe have the blessing of having your kids in private school, and I believe there's a place for all three of those places, but it is not the school's responsibility to raise your children godly in Christ Jesus. It is your responsibility as a parent. And part of the problem is we have forsaken that duty and passed it off to teachers. And that's not fair to them, and it is not good for our kids. So please take up the mantle expressed here as the ones to whom that instruction in godliness has been given. Our kids get our morals at home. They're not going to get them from the public school system, okay? What they're going to get from the public school system is that there's no such thing as gender determined by your physical anatomy, AB 777 clearly states that your children can be whatever sex they want to be. And if they feel like being a boy and they were born a girl, they can do that. That's part of our public school system. You're, you're going to get bad results if you leave that to the schools. If they do not learn the morality at home, they will not get it at school. Having said that, there are lots of teachers out there that are trying to protect your kids from the very things that make up some of those laws now that we have. Our governor signed that bill into law in 2008, and it is a law. Your kids, and I don't want to be really specific here, your kids are being sexualized. Your kids are being humanized. Your kids are getting a lot of lessons you don't want them to have. Now, the system, you probably can't change, but you can give them the skills, the talent, the blessing, the instruction at home so that when they get there, they'll be able to tell the truth from the lie. That's what we need to do. We don't need to be all about condemning every system and everything. We need to be about being the light. And if we'll do that, we'll have an effect. And we're going to support those teachers who love the Lord, who have the opportunity to do what's right. But please, don't leave it to someone else to raise your kids in the Lord Jesus. It's your job. It's my job. 
And I can tell you that no time like the present has that been any more difficult. And I could give you statistic after statistic, and those that are in this room right now that are teachers could do the same thing, and they would tell you exactly what I'm telling you is true. Uh, it's, it's the way the system, unfortunately, is set up now. California Teachers Association is the second largest union in the state of California. It's some 365,000 people strong. They're basically in charge of about 40% of our state budget. So don't think that they don't have power. And it's not all wielded for good. So you better train your children in the Lord. Amen? That's your task. Because they're going to get told something else if you leave it to anybody else. As I was studying this morning, it was like, Lord, what do you, what do you want to say? Because I think if we don't see the danger, I think we might well be blind to it. And so I felt as though I needed to say these things. Now, having said these things, remember that the answer is more light in your home. The answer is more Jesus. And there's plenty of grace for the things that we haven't done quite the way God wants us to do. So please... Don't walk in condemnation. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 2 says this, speaking of the original founding, if you will, of the progression of family, and it says there, and I will make a covenant, speaking of Abraham, between me and you, and I will multiply you, being Abraham, exceedingly. That is saying, I'm going to make more of you out of you. I'm going to spread your genealogy throughout this world that it is going to be you that's going to be the basis of God's word and God's work and the wealth of his treasure going out into the world. And so we must understand that family is extremely important to society. And unfortunately, we live in a world that does not value family. We have now edged over into the first time in human history that a nation that is the prominent nation of the world, that's us as the United States of America, has more people who are not married than married. That happened about two years ago. We have more children being raised in one-parent homes than we have ever had in our history it is nearly 35% of all children grow up in one-parent homes. We, we now live in a time, and I, I don't wanna, I'm going to harp a little bit. Your children are going to be educated at school, but they're going to be educa- educated in a way that's not conducive to a biblical worldview. They're going to get sex education, and they're going to spend as much time on sex education as they do on parenting. However... Let me put it to you this way. They're almost all going to become parents. So if they're not going to get parenting skills at school, where do you think they ought to get them? At home. So let's not forsake that. Let's make sure we're doing our part to raise godly citizens for this next generation. Verse 1 of Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you, that you might live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up 
in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And so first, the child's simple task. It's real simple. And man, have we lost this principle. And I want to remind you, looking back in the history of the Jewish people, we find something that's rather interesting to look at. And if you want to look at the classic case, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 15, there in about, I think, verse 22, 24, someplace in there. Uh, trying to give you the address, you can get close enough to look at it. But it is there that in the life of great King Saul, that this discussion about obedience and sacrifice, religion versus obedience, is addressed. And what is said there directly is, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And I can tell, to you, tell you that having been a camp director for 20 years, rebellion is rampant in our world. Those that are here that are involved in education in any way, shape, or form, public school, private school, if you homeschool, you recognize that one of the, the dire results of our modern society is rebellion to every kind of authority. Now let me help you understand that. If they are not taught as children at home that obedience is a good thing, what do you think is going to happen to them? They're going to go about life believing that whatever they think is exactly what they should do. However, they are moved on whatever subject and whatever philosophy they deem appropriate given their own personal circumstances is the direction no go. So the simple task is children, obey your parents in the Lord because it's simply right. Again, it's the basis for everything else. And it pains me when, when I see children who are just run amok. That doesn't mean that we squash them underneath these hands of this ironclad rule at home. It means that yes means yes, and no means no. And it means that because you have lived on this earth, generally speaking when they're born, probably in the area of 25 years or more longer than they have, and you've been through a few things, chances are your perspective is a little bit closer to correct than a two-year-old's. And so the first thing is said is that this principle is children simply learn to obey authority. And frankly, it's a lost art in a lot of the world. And it's especially terrible here. Because what we have now is children dictating to their parents what it is they think they ought to be able to do. And what do you think when they get to school? They tell their teacher that, well, you know, I don't have to do that at home. I'm not doing it with you either. And then they do the same thing to the police officer. Well, you know, I feel like I can do anything. You know, after all, I mean, who made you God? If you don't learn that there's authority and structure at home, you're going to take that worldview out into the world that you live in. And that is exactly what has happened. And if you don't believe that, I want to challenge you to come down here and spend a day with me at church here. I sit in my office, and here come the hooligans, the local neighbor kids that we want to share Jesus with. And I have been cussed at, cursed at, told to take a hike. You don't know this is God's property, you know, and then followed by about every explicative that you can think from kids that are about that tall. Had the same experience at the camp. 
You don't know me. You can't tell me what to do. I, I don't even do that for my parents. No, I can see that. <laughs> Not news to me. It's simple obedience. At times, you just simply need to do what you're told. Amen? Please don't call me up and tell me that Officer Rodman pulled you over at the lower passing lane and gave you a ticket and you want to know if I can get it reversed. Because the answer is going to be in, oh no. I'm not even going to ask him. You were speeding. You got caught. You weren't being obedient. That's the penalty for your bad behavior. Doesn't mean I don't care about the ticket. Doesn't mean I don't love you. But we all have to be obedient, do we not? There are authorities in this world that have been placed there, according to your Bible, by God. And if our children don't learn obedience, and to some degree, simple, blind obedience, yes, because you are in charge, and because you are my parent, I may not understand what you're saying. I may even have a different opinion. But there is time for us to simply just be obedient. God honors obedience. And frankly, He's very capable of squaring away any and all of us at anything, anytime, anywhere, if we happen to be the ones who are wrong. But if we make society about who can be most rebellious, then my poor brother Chuck back there is going to be seeing those kids daily who are messed up because they did not get any type of structure at home. My brother Dave's going to get it. My brother Joe's going to get it. Jeff and Karen are going to get they're they're going to have to deal with the lack that we have in home of not at, at home of not teaching our children that obedience is a good thing. We don't have to take a class in selfishness, do we? <laughs> I, I'm telling you, we don't. You have to teach your children how to lie, cheat, or steal. Uh, negative. That's because they were born that way. They are little tiny sinners. Okay, they. <laughs> They're many sinners, and they know exactly how to do it. What they need is instruction in righteousness, amen? That's what they need. They'll figure out immediately. You give a kid a cookie, and there's two kids, break it in half. First thing you do is see which piece is the biggest, right? Shouldn't come as a surprise to you. Maybe they need some help to figure out how to balance that with love and correction and all those kind of things. Why it says the first thing, let them be obedient. God's rule is God's rule, and He's established those things. And quite frankly, this is the best hope for our modern world, is that there be some form of structure and order in our world. I can't believe it. My brother just retired from the California Highway Patrol. He recounts hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories of people who just... He stopped a guy. This is pretty funny, actually. He used to do the 10 out towards Palm Springs. He stopped a guy doing 165 miles an hour one time in a high-performance sports car. He had to stop him with the helicopter. He called the helicopter. The helicopter hovers over the freeway, and the guy's like, oh, you know, finally pulls over. And the guy's words were, I didn't think you could catch me. 
I'm like, well, your car ain't faster than a helicopter, bro. <laughs> it's not faster than radio waves. It's, what do you think? But that's a sign of that rebelliousness that we naturally have. We've all got it. If you're honest with yourself, you will admit that inside of you, there's a little rebel in each of us. It's because you were born a rebellious person. And then you met Jesus. So, we need to teach them how to make sure that they keep that order that God wants. Because what they're going to get in the world is, they're going to go to watch their Disney movies and they're going to learn about the circle of life. And you're going to have all these wonderful principles that just every road leads to heaven. And all dogs to go to heaven and all cats go to hell. If you're a cat person, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, that's what they're going to get. They're not going to get real structure or real order. It's going to be, well, we can all just coexist. And those are wonderful, fluffy statements. But let me tell you this. When you put 400 junior hires together, they don't work. Ever. You get in the classroom, you got 35 kids, and they're all little mini sinners. They don't learn any structure at home. They're going to come in. Pew, there goes the airplanes and the spit wads and... Hand grenades, whatever else they got in their pockets. We need to learn a little obedience. Can I remind you that there are only two verses in your entire Bible that talk about the childhood of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 51 says this, And he went down to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph and was subject to them. Jesus, who is the Christ, the Creator God, the King of the universe, was subject to his earthly parents. How much more so do you think we ought to be teaching that principle at home again? Second thing, a biblical precept. Notice verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. There's a promise here. And in the Ten Commandments, it's an interesting study. If you look at the Ten Commandments, they're in Exodus chapter 20. The first four are clearly Godward. This happens to be a quotation of the fifth, which ties the first with the latter five. And it's interesting because it is in that promise that we see the headship of Christ in the first four. Because it gives parents the ability to act in the stead of God in the home. Why? Because the children aren't born knowing Jesus. They're supposed to see Jesus at home. They're supposed to come to Christ in that visual that they get at home. And so even in the Ten Commandments, we see God's order and we see God's structure that first we need to have allegiance to God, and then the thing that links us together with the rest of the Ten Commandments, which are manward, the first are Godward, the last are manward, is the home. You may have missed that. You, you see, we're supposed to be so much like God at home that our children understand they have someone they have allegiance to and He is Father God who is in heaven. That they don't get to call their shots. That no matter how much they're taught existential philosophy or humanism or nihilism or narcissism, that there is a God in heaven and He rules and reigns, Period. You see, part of the problem is we leave that to someone else, and all of a sudden, our kids don't have a clue. They don't know. They don't have this precept. And see, ultimately, 
that means they fall under the judgment of God. God doesn't want that. God's a jealous God. And I want to encourage you when you think about these things, part of the reason, and again, I don't want to condemn anybody, so please hear this in tremendous love. Part of the reason that I think some of our children have struggled is because we have not taught them from a very early age that there is a God in heaven to whom they have allegiance, whether they like it or not. If God is an ethereal thing in your home, then how much allegiance do you think your kids are going to have? It pains me how many children are atheists, or at least they claim they are, or agnostics, or at least they claim they are. That word means actually ignoramus, by the way. So when you say you're an agnostic and you use an Oxford accent, I'm an agnostic. You're just declaring your own ignorance. It's amazing how many kids do that because they think it is intellectually better because they've learned at home from mom and dad that God's not important. That they only believe in God like a crutch. Or they only believe in God when something's wrong. Or they only believe in God when there's a real bad thing that happens to somebody. You see, the precept is, God's always been God. And God will remain God whether we tell our kids that or not. And if we don't tell our kids about the Lord then somebody else is going to be free to give them a false view of God. And you know how many kids believe that false view? Because you know what? That circle of life sounds really good, doesn't it? You know, we're just all part of the cosmic oneness. And, you know, when you die, you're just going to turn into, you know, you'll probably come back as a cricket or something. You'll be reincarnated and you'll get another chance. It sounds nice. My Bible says you get one chance. And that God doesn't give you any other chance. My Bible says there is only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved. My Bible says there's exactly one Savior. My Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So if you don't teach your children that there is a God in heaven who absolutely has final authority over their life, then you are setting them up to believe every one of those other lies. That's why it's important, and that's why this simple precept. And it reads, it's the first commandment with promise. Here's the promise, verse 3, that it may be well with you and you might live long on the earth. It's not promising a long life. It's not making a promise that we couldn't look back and see whether it's validated or not. It's making a powerful promise that if you want the very best of what God has, you must do things His way. That's what it says. It is the best way. It's the first commandment with promise. The first four are God word. You'll have no other gods before me. You get it, right? The middle says... Honor your father and mother, for it's right. Because it attaches that to how you interact with everybody else. If you don't respect mom and dad, what do you think you're going to do with that girl when you get in that situation in that car when you're 16? 
What do you think you're going to do with that other person's possessions? You see how it ties in? Well, you're not going to honor someone else's goods. You're going to covet everything you have. If you haven't learned that at home, if it hasn't come across clear that God, in fact, sits in heaven and He will either judge you based on the merits of Christ and grace and be forgiven, or you can try and do it on your own. Secular humanism says, I'm responsible for me. Secular humanism says, I'm the one that matters. It goes to narcissism, which says, I'm the only one that matters. And what I feel I should do, that's what I get to do. The problem is, your Bible says there is a God in heaven. And that God in heaven, one day you're going to stand before and you're going to give an account for how you lived your life. And apart from Christ, you're going to spend eternity separated from him. You see, so this precept is if you want God's best, you have to give him yours. You follow that? You you, you can't wave your finger at God and say, I'm not doing what you want. You can't point it, you can't in the chest. You know how guys sometimes do, oh yeah, well, your mom wears army boots. That's what we used to say. Army boots are pretty nice now, the new ones. They're kind of fashionable even. But yeah, we, we now we pass that along to our kids. There's no moral authority in the world. And isn't that the mantra of our day? There's no moral authority in the world. The moral authority is you just watch television. Whatever they do, that's what everybody else is doing, and that's what you do. That's a recipe for death and disaster. That is a recipe for destruction. And as we get to spiritual warfare at the end of this chapter, one of the names of Satan is Apollyon. It means destroyer. That's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. He wants to destroy your life. And so what he says is, you're not responsible to anyone. You don't have to answer to your parents. You don't have to answer to your teachers. You don't have to answer to your pastor. You don't have to answer to any, you don't even have to answer to yourself. Just do whatever you want. The precept is, God's the ultimate authority. And your choice is to either believe that and do it or not. It's real simple. And if you want to have a long life that's a meaningful life, and this is talking about quality, not just quantity of time. I look back now, and I, I have the blessing of having Connie's parents here with us. They just celebrated their 60th anniversary. Amen? We did that last week. But I can tell you the legacy of godly parents. They raise godly kids who raise godly kids. There's generations of godly kids on the earth from godly parents. Every one of them's doing okay in business. Every one of them has a great profession. All of them have they don't have problematic kids. They're not wandering around wondering where their kids are at and what they're doing. This is true. If you raise your children the way God intends, it doesn't guarantee that they won't ever go anywhere, but what it does do is give them the greatest possibility they can have on this earth for success. And it's true. You see, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34 say this, Do not be deceived. 
I love it when Paul says that because it's so accurate. It's just like, look, guys, the lie is the opposite of this. That's what he's saying. Don't be led to believe something that's not true. That's what that means. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So imagine if there's no moral center at home. So if there's no moral center at home and there's nothing to fight with for that child, what do you think's going to happen when they get around evil company? They're going to go, wow, you're just like me. And they go further off the deep end. I am a classic example and case study of someone who came to Christ early, who then had no backing at home of that godly example, who then wandered away for a period of time, but in God's grace he goes, Jeff, i still got a plan for your life. Remember that commitment you made? And those things of God that were spoken into my life at an early age, all of a sudden I, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today, for I know that he is with me, whatever men may say. You you see, you start to draw on that which was inputted in your early years. And even though it wasn't perfect, it bore fruit in my life. And now the parents' terrifying task, verse (laughs) 4. Get ready to get scared. We'll go quick. And by the way, this passage that we're looking at right now is almost virtually repeated word for word in Colossians chapter 3. There in verse 21, 24, you'll see that. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Why would it say that? Uh, Because we're idiots, mostly. We're not too bright. We're not the sharpest tool in the shed. But I want to give you a little clue here. The word that's translated fathers actually is paterness, and it means parent. It doesn't just mean father. But in the context, because the father's supposed to be the head, the father's supposed to be showing the family the love of Christ all the way into death. Remember that part? He gets the first call out. Fathers, don't antagonize your children in such a way that they have no way out. Don't lay on them burdens that neither you nor your forefathers could bear. You remember those admonitions in Scripture? Sometimes we lay things on our kids that there's no hope for them to meet that standard. The Bible is balanced, family of God, very clearly with obedience and grace, love and truth. We've seen these things throughout our time as we've studied God's word. Those things are balanced. But make no mistake, the standard's still the standard. And so fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Sometimes it's not what we say, it's how we say it. Amen? Any of you dads live long enough to regret some of your words? I have. Both of my hands are up. I've lived long enough to regret things that I've said. I've had to go back on my knees in front of my own children and apologize for not what I said, but how I said it. For using too much force, too high a volume. You know, I kind of get paid to, to use words, amen? You can imagine I'm not real good to listen to when I'm having a bad day, okay? I can figure out some ways to destroy you. I can. I'm not saying that proudly. I'm saying I have a pretty good command of the English language. If you don't get it the first time, I'll figure out 50 other ways to tell you how bad you are. I can come up with just about any excuse you want for bad behavior, verbally. 
That's, that's one of the things that God's worked in my life. And I share that with you to give some of you a hope that, you know, maybe you're a little harsh on your kids. It's just don't provoke them. You, you see, sometimes what we do is we give unreasonable, outrageous demands, maybe outrageous punishments, inconsistent rules and examples and behaviors ourselves so that when the kids, well, you're, you, you, you did the same thing to mom yesterday. And then we wonder why they have a little bit of a problem with our standard. It's because the standard we gave them wasn't Christ. Family of God, we need to admit our faults and weaknesses. Transparency with your kids is a wonderful thing. They need to see that mom and dad are not infallible. They need to see that mom and dad love the Lord enough to know that they have been displeasing to the Lord themselves. The mom and dad have maybe held up a standard that they shouldn't have ever let happen in their home. Don't provoke your kids. It doesn't bear good fruit. You know what? My, my grandfather, and, and I don't have a lot of memories of my grandparents. I lost both of them before I was 35 years old. So a long time ago. But my grandpa Gil, one of the things he used to say was he, he would call us little people. We'd be out there. The little people are out there. That's a wonderful picture. Because you know what? Kids are little people. They are people. They are little. They are immature. They haven't gotten there yet. But they're still people. They need to matter. They need to know that you love them unconditionally. They need to know that the things that you think about them are for their good. They need to have value just like you value adults. Sometimes I've seen families where children are not cherished in that way. They're not viewed as little mini-me's, little us's, little we-ins. You know the bad part? Is they're going to turn out a lot like you. My, my poor kids walk like me. They talk like me. They're obnoxious like me sometimes. That's because they're little people. Now they're big people. They're bigger than I am. I have to be careful because they can take me. <laughs> the growing up process is just that. It's a process. Amen? So why would we want to provoke our kids so that they would think that it's unduly hard? So that God is always angry with them. We need to show our kids that love, that concern, that care. You need to study your kids. Do you study your kids? You need to study your kids. Because you know what? There are not two of them that are alike. I, I can tell you there aren't two of them that are alike. Some are bold. Some are outgoing. Some are clever. Some are slow. Some are adventurous. Some are timid. Some are shy. They're different. They need you to lovingly get them through that process of being a child and into those horrible tween years and the teens where their hormones are going off the charts and you know they're trying to figure out what behavior actually looks like. They, they don't need to be beat up. They're already beat up. They need to be encouraged. They need to be strengthened. Learn boundaries? Absolutely. Do you know how many times I've had kids in my office at the camp where, where they have had no boundaries in their life, and for the first time in their life, they're actually being told no. No, that will harm you. 
I had a young man about five or six years ago that came into the snack bar. He bought an entire thing of Airheads. Now, if you don't know what those are, that's plastic with flavor. <laughs> it's a taffy, and it, it's like you, you can actually, if you have a flat, you can put it on your tire. I mean, it's not, humans shouldn't actually consume it in any quantity. But it's tasty. It has flavor. And he bought a whole box of those. And I got a call at about 1 o'clock in the morning. Well, he's got this kid and he's throwing up. I get over there and it's Technicolor. I mean, it's like blue and green. And I'm not trying to be too graphic, but I want you to get the sense of this. And I'm talking to him and he goes, I asked him, I said, what happened? He said, well, I ate 100 airheads because these guys challenged. He ate the whole box. The entire box. Well, my parents never told me that I could. What? I'm looking at him like your parents never told you that an entire box of candy was a bad thing? You, you see, part of provoking your children is also not having any boundaries. Because you're provoking them to do dumb things. And then all of a sudden they're mad at everybody. Well, you never told me. And before you know that, comes a, a life of crime. And I don't want to overstate this, but the fact of the matter is, kids who grow up with some boundaries typically do much better in every area of life than those who don't. And so, as we wrap up this morning, a word about motives. It says, bring them up in the nurture which means discipline, the admonition, which means instruction. So an internship, a lab environment, a hands-on environment, and the teaching environment, those two things, they go together, amen? you got to work with them and you got to instruct them. Those two things, it's the easiest way to look at it, of the Lord, L-O-R-D, Lord. Hands-on, did they see you living your life that way? Did they see you living your life that way? Not just, oh, you read the Ten Commandments. It'll change you, boy. Not just using the Bible as punishment, which I've had happen in my own life, and I resented it big time. I hated the Bible for a time in my life. Because in my house, it was used as punishment. If you're using the Bible for punishment, please stop. Because it's the true and the living God, and you don't want your kids to hate it because you use it. Well, you write the Ten Commandments 200 times. What do you think they're going to think about the Ten Commandments after about the 50th time? I ain't writing these ever again. I don't even believe them. You see, we're to raise our children in the training the admonition of the Lord. That's the motive of heart. I want my children to be in love with Jesus. And I want what I do, and I want what I say to match. So that when they see me interacting in the world, they don't get one thing at home and something else in the world. They don't get one thing when I'm driving and another thing when they're driving. It's the same guy. It's the same dad. Children learn what they observe and they will mimic that. They will learn what they observe. Children live with criticism. They're going to learn to be judgmental and condemning. If children live with hostility, they're going to learn to be angry and fight. 
If children live with shame, they're going to learn to be guilty and to have condemnation. If they live with anger, they're going to use that to resolve conflict. If they live with tolerance, they're going to learn to be patient. You, you see, the positive things are true as well. They live with encouragement. They get confidence. Do you understand what I'm saying? Part of training our children, part of being godly parents, is letting them see that to be a Christian doesn't just simply mean you're all holy. It means that your life has been transformed by the renewing of your mind and that your actions have followed suit. You see, if children live with approval, they learn to approve of themselves. They don't, they don't get a standard they can't keep. That's why we need to bring the light home. That's why we need to raise our children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And if there's been a failure, and today's the day, just start. Don't look back on the past failures. Look forward to the future successes. Remember that God's grace is sufficient for all of our needs. Sufficient for our failures. Sufficient for improvement. Every day I wake up and say, Lord, improve me in some way, shape, or form. Yesterday was good. Make today better. Help me be a better parent. Help me be a better friend. Help me be a better citizen. Help me be a better husband. Bring the light home. And then take the light out into the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, as we draw to a close our time this morning, Lord, I want to pray, Lord, for those that maybe this morning are feeling a little under the weather from hearing that truth, Lord, maybe looking back on their life and just seeing a lot of difficulty and hardship and failure. God, I want to pray for your grace to just reign in this place this morning, Lord. Not in condemnation, but Lord, conviction to improvement. Lord, to busyness about our Father's business. Father God, I pray that you would just lift us up into the heavenlies. God, for those that are parents this morning, God, would you use us to instruct our kids in righteousness, to walk with you all of their days, Lord, to never leave nor forsake you because you won't forsake them nor leave them. And God, I pray for those that are going to be parents that you would begin even now to instruct them, God, in how to live out their lives before their children so that their children would be walking lighthouses, God, wherever they go. And Lord, for the grandparents who have done their job already, Lord, maybe have some input into their families yet to give. God, would you just encourage and strengthen them, Lord, to that task. For those who are awaiting that time in life, Lord, the young ones in our church, God, would you cause us to be so in love with you that we would know how to be in love with others. We love you. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.